welcome to another episode of El ADN Podcast, where every week we sit down with the movers and shakers of our culture for an honest and intimate conversation about their career journey, including all the challenges and failures they've overcome to reach their current success. I'm your host, Victoria Leandra. Meet Diana, a Puerto Rican artist and storyteller whose creations you've seen on and offline, especially within the New York City illustration community. Under her brand, Koval, she's drawn a crowd of loyal fans, leading to collaborations with Nike, Red Bull, Google, MoMA PS1, Instagram, and many more. She originally started her career in fashion show production at 21, where she worked for Oscar de la Renta, Zach Posen, and Carolina Herrera. We talked about negotiating, the metaverse, and of course, how to build a profitable business as a digital artist. I am so excited to have you on El ADN Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. We've been a fan of your work forever, so we're excited to have you. Thank you for having me. It's always nice to meet fellow creatives and um, get to have a conversation. So thank you. Yes, yes. So tell me a little bit more about your career journey. I know that you started in the fashion scene, you've worked at mm. Oscar de la Renta, Zach Posen, Carolina Herrera, and mm. now you're doing something very different and very much your own. So tell me a little bit about that start, where you got started. Yeah, I always like to tell people that it was through the power of suggestion that landed me on this art journey. Basically, someone just recommended that probably at the time I wasn't utilizing my skill set to the fullest potential. It really made me rethink um, who I wanted to be in this world and what did I want to present. And I've always loved storytelling. And I figured I did a lot of that with fashion, um, whether it was um, blogging or if it was doing production shows. It was always the essence of storytelling that really compelled me to find that narrative again through a different form. And that's how I came across art, especially illustration. I was just looking at all these comic books and all these illustrators and how they were able to tell the story with wits and color and, and fluidity and um, a lot of personality. And it really made me feel that I could do the same. My dad can low-key draw. So I grew up with that in, in the family. And so I decided to pursue it. And it's been well over 10 years now, and I've learned so much what it's like to have art meddle with business, specifically in the art space. People really gravitate towards Koval because I feel like it's a whole story in one. Um, I like to push the boundaries. I like to be myself and not apologize for it. You mentioned something that really stood out to me, and it's that your parents also drew and that you came from a family that was very artistic. And I found that interesting because you come from a Latino family and oftentimes, yeah. I don't want to generalize, but usually they don't see art as a career and they just right. see it as a hobby. So how did that conversation went about when you decided to, you know, leave, quote unquote, a steady job to become a full time artist? Well, for some context, I'm the baby of the family. Um, so I had a lot of time to really understand what it is that I wanted to be in this world. And I've always wanted to be 
a person who does whatever she wants. I've always wanted to make my own rules. And so ever since I was a kid, my parents kind of already knew I was going to be this rambunctious child that's going to do whatever she wants. Um, I grew up being a very good kid. I, I mind my manners. I was very to myself. I was shy. But when I had the ability to create, that's where I got really crazy. Um, I was in TV show production class. I was yearbook class. Um, anything that had to do with homecoming or talent shows. Like I was very much that kid that wanted to express herself in a different way. So by the time I told my parents that, listen, I don't want to do the nine to five thing. I don't want to work for somebody else. I'm going to go to do this thing called art. They were like, oh, okay, but we're not surprised. <laughs> they just weren't surprised that I was going to really go that far. Um, and they're really happy that I'm where I, I am today because um, I was just willing to take that risk. You mentioned the power of suggestion, and I've never heard that before. I feel like it's very interesting because a lot of times people that we look up to or just colleagues of ours, they suggest things, but we just either we take them as opinions or we just don't see much to it. So tell me about what was the exact suggestion or what made you hear them out and, and sort of follow through with whatever the person suggested that made you ultimately leave the fashion world and into your, your own art world? Sure. Um, when I say the power of suggestion, I mean, because every time it's always come at the power, like the hour of need, it's always been said to me in a moment where I was at intersection of something. I needed to decide, was I going to go right or left? And then out of nowhere, the suggestion came and I was like, oh, it makes all the sense. I'm supposed to go left. I've always had really close people give me the suggestion. Um, so that's why I feel like there's more power to that because these are people that know you. These are people that see you day in and day out hustle and um, do whatever you got to do to make ends meet. So they see you at the very face value. They see your potential. Um, I once had a recommendation, a suggestion from a friend. She's like, you should totally apply for this job. It's a creative director job for a startup, blah, blah, blah. You should try it. And I'm like, I don't, I've always played creative director, but I've never been creative director. So I was like, I don't know if that's too far out of reach, but then I applied and then I got it because I had a resume, a personal resume of all the things that I love to do. The skill set was there, um, the practice was there, and it just took somebody to be like, you know what, I see potential in that. Let's hire you. And so I spent, you know, the next year at this company really getting to flex my creative wings in such a more corporate kind of way. And I thought that was really cool. And then the other suggestion was when I was trying to figure out, do I continue blogging? Um, in the fashion style um, category, or do I completely go somewhere else and start over? And then the suggestion came, yeah, I don't think you're utilizing your skill set enough in this blogging world. I think you need to take it out there and take it elsewhere. And that's when it made me really think about where I was in life, what I wanted to bring to the table. And it's all about divine timing. I am someone that really really believes in the power of the universe and the power of timing and the time of uh, manifestation and hustling and working hard. And I really felt like those two pivotal moments really showed me a lot about myself that I didn't know I had. And I think that's all the power of it. It's beautiful to hear that you have people in your life that can sort of like 
zoom out because oftentimes we're too zoomed into the work that we are doing that we don't see right. the bigger picture. So I this goes to show that all of us have those people. We just have to either recognize them or hear them out because sometimes mm. we just block them and it's like, no, 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 I have this one path. But you can take suggestions, right? Like maybe, right. maybe, maybe hear them out. So it's it's yeah. good to 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 hear from you that you feel that way. Thank um, you. Once you started, once you took the suggestion and then decided to to have the brand become a business, what was the first step? I didn't do any of that at the beginning. I legit quit my nine to five and I just decided I was going to go straight for it. Obviously, I've learned a lot in that. I think that was one of not the biggest mistakes, but I think that was a big learning curve to think that I can just quit a very stable living and go somewhere that has no structure whatsoever. Um, so I learned a lot within that first year. I learned that it's really imperative to have some kind of monetary plan, whether that's saving for six months before you quit or a year, depending on like, your craft and depending on the goals that you want to hit. But I really felt that I should have saved the money before I jumped ship. Um, so I learned a lot about that. I learned, I learned a lot about talking to clients. I, I think is a thing that we don't really talk about often is how we really relate to our clients, how we speak to them. I talk to all my clients where it's like borderline friends, the borderline artists. Like I try to be very respectful. I try to communicate with them in the best way possible, making sure like all our concepts and structures are laid out. But it's just being personal at the end of the day. Like, yes, you love my work. But the reason you love my work is because of me. And I want to show you me from the moment that we, we start talking, whether it's through Zoom or email. So I learned about about that customer relationships. I learned about um, what kind of projects I wanted and did not want to take anymore, which I feel like a lot of artists have to do from time to time. When a year is up, you have to evaluate, you know, these types of projects are not doing anything for me. Yeah, they give me money, but are they really fulfilling my cup at the end of the day? Because that's that ensues burnout. And that's a whole different, you know, topic. And just learning about saving money, because, because what I've learned about that is, at that point, I was trying any job, taking any job just to make sure my rent was paid. And that is the worst thing I feel like any creative can do when trying to freelance. You mentioned clients and so far you've had countless amazing partnerships with different brands like Nike, Red Bull, Google. And most of those have been thanks to some of the contacts that you have within those organizations. So how have you been able to sort of connect so deeply with a client that they become your friends outside of work, but that they also advocate for you within a corporation? I get asked this question all the time. And I feel like people are looking for like a secret key to it. But realistically, all the relationships, all the relationships that I have is because I show up as myself. I am who I am on and offline. Um, if I see you, it's love, it's family. And how I show up online, it's love, it's family. I, I try to make sure that who I am across all boards is me. And I feel like at the end of the day, that's what I want people to see. And if they really, if they really believe that and really believe me and my art, um, I feel like it's a no brainer for them to collaborate with someone like that. You sound like you have a very clear brand identity. And again, you show up as yourself wherever you go. And I wonder for the creators that are listening to us, do you think it's 
okay to sort of like take a breath and take a, a, a pause in all the creative process to sort of define who you are to then start showing up as a business? I, I think it's really imperative that you know who you are coming into that. Ever since I started this art journey, I've always known that I was going to always show up as myself and whatever ver version that is. The me coming into this year is not the same from last year. Every year is a progressive version of myself. And I feel like, right. Yeah. So I, I definitely think it's imperative to know yourself coming into an industry that a lot of people may feel is saturated, may feel like it's, it's noisy. That's what's going to separate you from the jump in a crowd of people. It's knowing yourself. It's knowing that what you want to bring to the table. What's the story that you want to tell? What are your favorite colors? Let's see that. Um, what are your favorite shapes? Let's see that. What are the things you really love to do? Let's see that. People want to jump straight to a business or a brand because right now everyone's doing it. Everyone's a brand. Even if it's someone that, that wants to show a day in the life of X, Y, and Z, everyone has a brand now. So the story, the core of it has to be you because I'm not you and you're not me. And our intricacies, what makes us tick, what makes us hustle, what makes us create the craft, that is so different from the person next to you. So instead of people trying to just mimic or be whatever is a successful or trendy right now, why not be you? And let's see that story. And that's the business. And that's the brand. That's when that seamless connection happens is knowing you. And then you just, you just put yourself out into the world. And I think that's why people really gravitate towards me and what I'm doing. It's because that's, that's my story. That's my story is me, what I've, what I've been through, what I hope to break, the generational traumas and curses that I hope to break. And that's me. You mentioned shapes and colors. And when I hear Kobo, I see like the, the, the shapes and colors. It is very distinct <laughs> what you've been able to sort of put out as, as your brand, right? But I'm sure you also change because we change as people. We also change as artists. So how do you grapple with like, this is who I am as an artist, but maybe you, I, I don't like orange anymore. And orange is like everywhere there in your work. So do you like internally struggle with like the change while being an artist? Or do you sort of like weave through it? Because at the end of the day, you also don't want to like completely change who you are? How, how does that work? What's that internal debate for you? I used to have that debate a lot. But the moment that I removed the idea of perfection out of my wheelhouse of being was a moment that I'm like, every time I pick up a paintbrush, or anytime I pick up my pencil or my iPad, whatever the case may be, that version of me is going to change. So there's no idea of perfection in my, in my mind because I'm always constantly evolving. I'm always constantly practicing. I'm studying, whether that's reading something or I'm you know, physically practicing on something. I'm always evolving. And so for me to sit here and think that the artist I was yesterday is going to be the same today, that would make me very naive because then I'm, I'm ruining my chances for growth. I want to continually, continuously evolve. If you look at my work 10 years ago, oh my God. <laughs> so it's like that artist changed till now. And every day I feel like I just get better and it's going to be a better version of me. 
So I never try to invite that idea into my process or into my craft. If I don't like orange today, that's fine. I might like it again next month. It's, it's the rest and push that I'm constantly at with my work. I'm resting. I'm letting take a break. I come back. I push more. I rest. I push. And every time I come back to that canvas, it's going to be a different version of me. And I think as artists, we just need to accept that. that. Mm-hmm. And I think, of course, for the people who are listening who don't necessarily are artists or have aspirations to become one, I think this is something that applies to all aspects in life. I feel like yeah. it's okay. Like if you went into, for example, journalism, wanting to become a reporter, but then you have an opportunity to do some social media, it's okay. Like maybe learn sure. how to do journalism through social media. Like it is okay to share, change the medium or the format. It's it's okay. And then maybe you go back to the what you initially wanted to do. But I heard from someone else that creativity is just plain. So like for you to keep playing within within mm -hmm. the lines or even outside the lines, but just continue being playful, basically. Yeah, I feel people think of the word, they, they, they hear creative and they immediately just associate it with the arts or with design. But everyone here that works is creative because you have to solve problems at the end of the day. You got to figure out how to move A and B. That's creativity. It's problem solving at the core of it. So everyone has that creative bone. It's just how you assert it. One of the things that I love talking about in the podcast is business because oftentimes we we see the success but we don't know either the 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 numbers behind it or the the behind the scenes of it all right so let's talk a little bit about negotiation and how how do you present yourself for a negotiation and sort of like what are your best negotiation tips mm, that's a good one um well i mean The only time we've had to negotiate is really just when, hmm, what are some good tips? Because I've been, I've ha I haven't had to negotiate much. Well, my manager, she, she is the captain of that. Um, but anytime that we find ourselves negotiating is just when um, the deliverables don't meet that rate, right? So people think that that's when you can't negotiate, but you can be like, listen, this is not meeting me at my rate. Why don't we take away two deliverables? So that way the client is still getting some assets from this project and it's still meeting your rate in time. So I think that's the biggest one that I can give is that don't be afraid to be like, okay, that's fine. Let's take this away or let's add this to meet whatever rate that is. Um, and I think presenting options too, like, I've known that my manager in the past has done packages like um, here's option one. This is all this rate consists of. And then this is option two. This is what the rate consists of. And then this allows the clients to have options and see, you know what? I'm going to take this package because it's more value for whatever I need at that moment. Right now with everything that's been happening in the world, when, it, when we take this into the corporate setting, maybe they are not giving you a salary, right? Like a uh, salary increase right now, but maybe they'll, let you work from home three days yep. a week. So, exactly. right. Or if it's a startup, they're not going to give you more money, but they can give you a little bit of equity for the company. So it's that wiggle room of like, okay, they're not giving me this. So I'll give them this in a way. I'm sure you've walked away from, 
from brand deals like you you've decided not to take on on a brand deal how do you pick in and choose the partnerships that you're going to be doing with your brand well i have a situation where the projects um i think the objective of the project was amazing um and the the rate was actually exceptional but i still ended up walking away from that project simply because at the time that i was in it was just a lot um that i was dealing with mentally and that was my first time actually putting myself first um usually when i'm going through um breaks in my mental health i usually just push through and i do the project anyway but at the time that i was going through these things it was a very heavy time and i thought that i was strong enough to do it but i knew that my strength was actually not doing it so i had to step away from that project because partly because of that but the other part of it is at this point what i want from clients is them for to be clear whether this project is based on my skill set or if it's based on my identity those are two different things yes i can illustrate for you but it's going to be in my style and this is where some clients get confused they're like oh but you you're an illustrator you can illustrate whatever yeah in my style not in in a generic kind of way there's no generic kind of way of illustration everyone has their style to it so when it came to like rounds of feedback i felt really unseen in that process and it was hurtful to know that i thought the client came here for me when in reality they wanted me to be like everybody else and so that also played a part into that and those are when i walk away from projects when i'm now realizing oh i thought we were clear that you were getting coval not diana the illustrator so those are the times that i walk away or i you know before we even get into the project i just you know politely decline and i usually just pass it to somebody else i can really kill that project so those are the times that i've walked away this reminded me of of something and that's i feel like for example when hispanic heritage month comes about everyone wants to work with like a latino same with black history month everyone wants to work work with a black artist and it's interesting because this may seem a little bit controversial sometimes when the client is picking you for the identity right because you are latinx because you're black put a price to that because they're literally selecting you because they need that representation so mm -hmm. there's also value in that so in a way it's like you are showing up as your authentic self yeah. you're getting paid as an artist but you're also have have you may also have like a pricier tag because you're Latina and there's mm. few of us in the space. How, how do you feel about this? You know, it gets me really upset that this is still the climate that we're living in, you know, that this is something that's still ongoing. That's why every time, you know, we submit our rates, we come correct. And we, we, we never buckle down from those rates. where we do buckle down is from you know okay we'll we'll remove this and we'll remove that because at the end of the day my identity is now power power for the people that really love coval for what it is um i'm giving them the opportunity to see what that really could look like for anybody um so there's a lot of responsibility that comes from every project i have to make sure that i'm showing up as me through all the boards of business and art 
And so it's still something that is still ongoing. I, I had a, a situation that happened where it was a project for Women's History Month and they wanted it for free. And I'm like, what's not happening? It doesn't make sense. And this is what gives me the reassurance that a lot of people are still disconnected from this topic. It doesn't even hit them in the head that like, this is an ongoing theme. And so when you approach someone like that, a woman or Hispanic woman, a woman of color, that's a stop to them. It's a stop to their character and what they bring and their power and, and, and all, all the strength and hustle that they bring to the table. You're just negating that. You're just like, you know what? It's so dismissive. And I, I don't appreciate that. And I've learned, especially through my manager, she has taught me a lot about my worth and my value. That's not negotiable. You can negotiate that. Mm -hmm. How do you see yourself as an artist in the metaverse and with everything that's been going on on NFTs? Is that something that you're interested in or you're just just like not now to be determined? Where are you at? Man, I get asked about NFTs like almost every day. And I wish I had a I wish I had a an ETH for every time someone asks me. <laughs> um, the thing is about NFTs that I'm struggling with is there is a historical context that I can't ignore. And that to me is what's going on in Puerto Rico right now, um, especially with the real estate booming over there, Act 60. It's, it's something that I have to read in bits because it gets me really upset. But part of that issue is the crypto empires that are being built on the islands and when you think about the whole grand scheme of things these people are moving there because there's a tax break and that's hurting the island a lot you know you have outside money that usually would help build you know a city but in these cases it's pushing people out so the reason you know all that to say i can't be a part of something that's hurting my people i feel like that would be very hypocritical to do And I've always been faced with the argument of then make a lot of money, do a cool story about Puerto Rico, take all that money and put it back into the island. But I'm still supporting the white man that's behind these machines. I'm still supporting that. And I'm supporting what's happening in Puerto Rico if I take part in this right now. So it's a lot of things that I'm, you know, fighting with. And I don't really talk about it a lot because I'm never faced with a conducive conversation. It's just always about like, but you could make money and own it. And I'm like, I'm doing that now. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to do something that is more sustainable for the island versus just giving them money. Right, right. Which, it, yes, yes. Well, I'm here for the big one now. So I know, <laughs> I, I think- know, I understand. It's interesting because I, I hear both, both sides. I totally hear you on the fact that the, this, the crypto world is a, they're literally billionaires profiting of Puerto Rico at, at the moment. Mm-hmm. But I've also seen really cool NFT projects made by Puerto Rican artists that have been right. able to sort of like make a name of themselves in the space and sort of create, basically integrate Puerto Rican art and Puerto Rican culture into the space. And I value that as well. because I'm like, mm-hmm. the way I see it, I've always seen... I've always seen my career as as a 
Puerto Rican journalist sort of coming into the US media world. And I'm, I'm trying to translate ourselves and who we are and making sure that our struggles and our culture are in those big name media outlets. So it's similar yeah. to artists in the Puerto Rican artists in the NFT world, like no one's talking about Puerto Rican art. Maybe let's retake, retake our power basically and like make a space for us. So not that I hear Absolutely. both arguments because there are there's no argument on this side. It's mostly like <laughs> it's just like I've seen like cool Puerto Rican artists make a way for themselves in this really white and, you know, foreign world to us. So it's like I think it would be dope to see you, you know, in that space. <laughs> I would be, I would, I think we need more, like we, as the same as we need more Latinas in journalism and in every single industry, why couldn't we be in that industry? That's, that's mm. how I see it in a way, like paving the way for others to come along. Yeah, for sure. And, and don't, and don't get me wrong. I, when, when I look at what's going on in the NFT space, I think it's fire. I think what these artists are doing is great. It's the really next level shit that we're seeing. And especially in the art and design space, I, I really feel like that ownership and that royalty is very necessary to have. And, and that's where I struggle. I'm like, it's, it's a really beautiful space. And I love seeing a lot of my friends thrive in that space. Yet, not everyone has the same responsibility. And I feel really responsible. And I'm not saying that and, and I'm not saying that the Puerto Rican artists don't feel that responsibility. I'm sure they they have it down locked. You know, I'm sure they have that. I'm still learning a lot about that space and I'm trying to see if that's something that I can do. But if I do it, it has to be it, it's I, I don't know. I don't know. I hear you. I hear you. It's and I love this debate. <laughs> I love this debate. Not this debate, just like this conversation, because right it's it's a struggle like that's a struggle for all puerto ricans in many industries that's that's in latinos in general yeah. that's the reality yeah. um there's this i it's not like i know much about nfts and metaverse but i'm learning but there's this mm -hmm. thing called the roadmap and and i hear that you want to be like super responsible with your roadmap and it's not like you just want to make yourself rich or give back money to the island but you want to have a purpose if you decide to go into it and that's what's beautiful to me that you you are purposeful like you you're you're very clear with what you want to achieve with your art and you're not creating for the sake of creating or creating for the sake of making money which a lot of nft people are <laughs> that's another conversation <laughs> so it's 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 cool it's cool i i really appreciate that i i feel like i can feel a like a lonely space sometimes because I'm like, yeah, I, I want to take part in things. But at the end of the day, I still have to adhere to what my standards and um, I have to respect my morals, I have to respect my legacy, like I have to think about my family's legacy. And there's a lot that I feel like I carry. So I'm just like, I have to just be mindful of everything that I do. So I really appreciate um, you saying that. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and when you say legacy, I think that's that's important because oftentimes we i think about that a lot with just like m some other colleagues i've always been the only puerto rican 
one of like two or three Latinas in the newsroom and like the only Puerto Rican. So every time that they're talking about Puerto Rico or Puerto Rico's in the news, like I was in newsrooms when Hurricane Maria was happening, when the earthquakes were happening, when Ricky Renuncia protests were happening. And if I wasn't there, those things would have not been covered. So wow. that's what I, I always keep in mind. If I'm, if not me, who in a way, because we have right. the access to these spaces. All this to say, if you have the access, if you have the power, or a, a little hint of it, right? Because we think we don't have the power, but we have more right. power than we think. <laughs> exactly. A little dash of it. Disrupts disruption. <laughs> <laughs> All for it. <laughs> I love that. No, absolutely. We all have to tap into our power. I think it's necessary. Everybody, every race, everyone that's able to have some kind of pool in their communities or what they're doing in the spaces. I, I commend that. Let's talk a little bit more about the technical aspect of your work. What are some of the software that you use? What's something that you sort of gravitate towards when it comes to to formats and, and tools that you use on a day-to-day -day basis to, to create? Yeah, so digitally um, for illustrations or anything out of home, I'm usually using, um, I'll start with my sketches in Procreate. Uh, that's one of the softwares I've been using for like a very long time. And I just find the software to be intuitive um, and just kind of limitless, especially in sketching. And then after that, I will go into like Adobe Illustrator on iPad. And that gives me the flexibility to tweak my draft and see like what colors I want to pick. And then when I want to finish it off and get it ready to print or send to client, I finish it on my desktop. And how did you learn? Because I feel like... <sighs> Oftentimes you either go to art school or you took a course somewhere and a lot of people are also self-taught for the people who are listening that want to begin illustrating and maybe they don't have the tools at home or they don't have it at their disposal at the moment. What are some of like the best starter friendly things that you can advise them to do? Well, for starters, just do it. Like, <laughs> I, I grew up, um, I like to say I'm an alumni from YouTube University. Um, and I've also just always taught myself, I'm the type of person that I press buttons until I know what it does. I, when I picked up rug tufting, I didn't watch not one video. I was just like, I watched one video where it showed me how to like thread the gun. And then from there, I was like, all right, I, I don't need to know more. So I just started pressing buttons and I just went. And then a year later, I'm able to make rugs. That's just my personality. I've always just been a curious person. Um, I don't like to read manuals. I don't like to read the game, like the, the instructions for the games. I like to just do it. So I think we get so caught up in the idea of doing something that we're like, you know what? Maybe not. I'm not ready because I don't know how to do it. But how do you know if you don't, you don't know how to do it? If you don't do it, you got to do it. So <laughs> my number one thing is just do it. And then anything on YouTube, I just recently started teaching myself how to do face drawings again. So I would just go on YouTube and be like, how to draw a face at different angles. And I would just watch all videos that have to do with that topic. Um, it's, it's not, it's, the process is not rocket science. I feel like if you want to know something, just ask Google, ask YouTube, and just do it. Those are my basic principles. <laughs> A lot, of course, we've talked a lot about just 
positive stuff, right? Like your success and your highlights. Is there a moment in your career that you felt like a failure or that you felt a little bit of imposter syndrome or a way, a time where you said like, this is not for me, I'm going to quit. Have you felt that? And if so, how do you manage it? I, I tend to always feel like that when I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I go through like this crisis every time. Every time I sit down for five minutes or two days, I'm like, my life is ending and I need to figure out my next move. It's so dramatic. I deal with imposter syndrome all the time. I don't know, not one person that does. Um, and people feel like imposter syndrome, like someone saying, you're not able to do that. I think it's when your mind is like, okay, we never been here before. So you mean to tell me we're going to push it out a little further? Okay, let's try. That's imposter syndrome. Because it's like, I've never been here before. You're trying to push the limits on what I'm doing right now. And it's scary. That's when I feel like imposter syndrome is like, well, we're going to just try something. Let's just try it. So I think imposter syndrome gets like a negative rep. But I just think it's your yourself questioning your next move. Like, okay, you want to push this idea a little further. How can we get there? And then that's where creativity comes in and be like, okay, we can get there if we, you know, and then trying to problem solve it. So I go through those moments all the time. And every time I sit still, I'm like, oh my God, is art my thing anymore? And it's like, yo, yeah, it's like, are you kidding me? What kind of question is that? But that's, those are mind games. I'm trying to identify that a lot with myself because I am someone that lives in her head. So I'm trying to identify when the narratives are right and when the narratives are wrong. And if I can differentiate those two narratives, then, then I know that I'm okay. I'm fine. And, and it's just the process of it all. That's the point of creating. You want to create to push more out of you every time you do it. One thing that, that someone recently told me or that I learned that I've sort of like kept in my head is that we are not our thoughts. So sometimes we would have this really bad and just like negative thought, you just let it be. That's it. You yeah. don't need to be like, mm -hmm. don't believe you're, you're great, but also don't believe you're like awful. You just yeah. are in a way we, we, we just are. And we show up as that sounded very like <laughs> transcendent. <laughs> I like it. I like where we're going with this. And, and that's, and that brings me to my meditation. Like my meditation was teaching me the other day. When you have intrusive thoughts, you have to tell your mind, thank you, but not today. <laughs> and then, and then those thoughts go away. And that's all I did that day. I was like, thank you, but not today. Oh, you too. Not today. It's just, it's, we have to train our mind. It's so easy for our minds to, to fall onto the negative. I think just by human design, that's how we're wired. But the whole point of meditation is rewiring your thoughts rewiring the way you process thoughts, how they come in and come out. And so that's something that I've been learning is that, like you said, we think, but we're not our thoughts. And when you have an intrusive thought, one that's really nasty and just wants to come at you, thank you, not the data. Diana, what will you tell your future self? Oh, my future self? Wow. Um, <laughs> what would I tell my future self? I don't know. I'm, I can be very brutal with myself. So I would say, don't fuck this up. 
<laughs> like I'm doing the work now so you can live abundantly later. You know, like do not, do not take your blessings and throw them away. <laughs> Beyond your work, how do you want to be remembered? Wow. Um, you know, I was recently thinking about one of my friends, um, Jamerson, and I was just thinking about like how he always is so happy to be where he's at in that moment. Anytime that I've seen him out and about, it's always been like, that man is so happy to be where he's at today. And I think there's a lot to learn about that. Again, going back to someone that lives in her head, I often forget about my surroundings. Sometimes I have to like take a step back and be like, I built this. I want to be remembered as someone who is genuinely there at that present moment. I want to be someone that's always been at that present moment in her, in her little bubble, in her world, do her thing. But she was there. I love that. This mm. has been such a pleasure and so fun. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, thank you. I hope this helped a bunch of people. I know it will. So for the fellow creatives, what will you tell them? With the world that we're living in right now, we are under so much pressure to create, to produce, to put out. Um, I just want everyone to remember that it's really not that serious. You know, slow down when you need to slow down, speed up when you need to speed up, pause when you need to pause, because it's not that serious. And that's something I tell myself. Yeah. And this is for me too. So <laughs> take it, take it easy. Okay. Here are my top takeaways from our conversation. Number one, there's no secret sauce to getting opportunities. Show up as yourself, do the work, and you'll attract greatness. That's it. Number two, digital artists in the NFT and metaverse space have an opportunity unlike any other. But for Boricuas, it's more complicated than that. And it's worth having that conversation. And number three, University of YouTube is a thing and it's free. So you don't have any excuses for why you are not currently learning what you want to learn more about. Thank you so much for listening. Gracias, mi gente. Be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. That's so helpful and exciting to us. If you learned something from this episode, share it with a friend. I'm sure they'll enjoy it as well. We drop new episodes every single Monday morning, but you can always find us on Instagram at El ADN Podcast. And before you leave, we want to hear your takeaways from today's guest. Share with us via Instagram stories and don't forget to tag El ADN Podcast and Victoria Leandra for a regram. El ADN Podcast is executive produced and owned by your host, Victoria Leandra, and edited by Jasmine Plata. <laughs>